this is Mike Fasano from Tiger Army. You're listening to Appetite for Distortion with Brando on iHeartRadio. And welcome to the podcast, Appetite for Distortion. It is Brando, 139 episodes. We are in to this podcast night train. Thanks for joining us. I can't wait to speak to to, to today's guest, Mike Fasano. So many of you have sent in questions, and I love that sometimes it may not be a marquee name, and you... The listener, the AFD show listener, never ceases to amaze me with the, your your intellect and knowledge. And you know that'll include uh, my friend John Muir. Some of you may remember him from the episode we did with with Johnny Kelly, friend of mine. Uh, he was one of the listener co-hosts uh, that I've had. Can't believe it's been a hundred episodes since uh, since Scotto left. So you know we're still friends, of course, uh, but it's been it's been a fun experiment not having a co-host. Because I've had the opportunity to get more questions from you, in addition to uh, opening up uh, co-hosting opportunities. So we're going to get to your questions, uh, to Mike. And uh, John, uh, my friend John, he sent me just like this great email with all these facts about, uh, without, about you, Mike, about your whole career. So we're going to get to a lot of questions. I believe, I think we're going to cover a lot today. Uh, you've been a drum tech for for Trey Cool from from Green Day, uh, Matt Sorum. You've uh, been credited on the spaghetti incident, and of course uh, now with with Tiger Army. But as I mentioned, there's just so much to get to. So I think the best way to start is with your buddy Rocco Guarino, who we had on a few episodes ago, and that is how you became the sack. Oh God! I knew that was coming. So, I can't believe it was coming from Rocco, though, out of all of, of of the people in the world. Well, to make a long story short, when I was in high school, uh, when I was in high school, uh, a couple of I went to Catholic high school, believe it or not, called Bellarmine Jefferson, here in beautiful downtown Burbank, where I where I reside. Uh, I was uh, I was. In the locker room, I finally got to uh, the, 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 the varsity level of playing basketball. And the guys in my class, I remember it was like Fernando Ghana and, uh, and uh, Jeff Milgenic. Uh, these guys um, were in the shower, and, and I, Fernando looked at me and said, he said, holy shit, look at the size of your sack. <laughs> and so, with, and this is back in the 80s. This is like I graduated in 86, so... Um, uh, so, so swatch watches were very popular. I think the hipsters are wearing them now again. The kids are wearing them now. Swatch sure. <laughs> and, uh, and I, and I, so I, I had my watch on in the shower. It was waterproof. And so I pulled my sack next to my watch and for reference, for reference, size reference. Oh, this thing. And I pulled it over and it was just a big laugh. And, and the, the sack thing sort of 
a little bit, um, this, this name. So here I am, the guy who played a little sports but was into music. I hung with everybody in high school, the nerds, the jocks, the, the, um, the losers, the winners, the whatever. I was just cool <laughs> hanging with everybody. And I just, I always wanted to be a drummer. I, I have my friends that have come out to see me play, and they tell me stories how I'd have my sticks in my backpack and I'd play on their shoulders or I'd, you know, play beats and, you know, and and it's just so funny that this dream from high school is still being a dream and I'm still working at it and I'm still trying to be somebody in this business. But anyway, so the sack thing came out and then um, later on, um, later on, meaning out of high school, sort of the sack, that was was a term. Then it was like I was working with these, I was working with um, this band called Rancid Sure. We were up in uh, punk band, and I was, I was, uh, you know, I have a, a, a rental drum business, and I and I tune on records, and that sort of was my business day job in between touring and doing gigs and blah blah blah, all of my uh, adult career. And um, but I was working with Rancid, and uh, Snapple was a big thing, Snapple bottle, and um, those guys are pretty serious, and they're they're you know they didn't party or drink, they're straight edge, and they're great, and they're they're funny. And the punkers with mohawks and whatever, and I didn't, I didn't really care. But my friend Jerry Finn was producing, and I was up there, and, and uh, there was Snapple in, in the studio refrigerator. I was like, oh. Uh, you know, it's, something just came up where I did the disappearing Snapple bottle, so where I'd, and I'd never show my, my penis, <laughs> tuck it up into my, my, the waist of my, uh, my, my, my belt and pull my balls out of my zipper and uh, and then I I do the now you see it now you do it down to the Snapple bottle and that became a thing and then it was like oh the sack the sack the sack so there's there's five of my thirty minutes on the sack okay so it just kind of stuck but you know I'm married it's all folklore now you know what I mean it's just it's funny but it's it's funny that Rocco asked that question I, oh good you Rocco <laughs> uh, did you see the Rocco uh, special on Netflix or are you too is that not no, your I era? haven't seen it it's I just, really good we have it but we're Sometimes our Netflix works, and sometimes it doesn't. Okay. All right. Well, that was my... Uh, watch it. I will watch it. I'm going to hang with him and drink with him and celebrate his sobriety breaking. <laughs> what a story that was with, with Scott Weiland. I have a cocaine story for you with uh, somebody oh. else later. Oh, yeah. We were talking about that off the air, so that will be a, a teaser. But I have to call myself out because, you know, my, Fasano, that's, a, that's an Italian name, right? So I've got to tell you this off the air. There was a listener who sent a long letter about me wanting to spend time on the, the spaghetti incident, do some episodes about it. And that's how I, uh, I, I discovered you because you, you were part of the Nazareth uh, song, uh, Hair of the Dog. So when I reached out to you, I reached out to your rep and everywhere I looked, it said – Mike the Sack Fasano. And I kept thinking like oh. it's some sort of some like a cool mafia nickname. So oh, I, I put like, that in the header of the email to your rep. So now I cool. feel like I just talked about balls with the, your your lady rep, and I feel really uh, she's fine. Okay. Barbara West okay. is her name. Okay, um, <laughs> and she told me if I do this, I I have to tell everyone her name. So Barbara West, she takes care of like my schedule, um, bookings, and uh, she talks to people and coordinates stuff for me um, with the uh, with the studio rental drum business and things like that. You know, if I'm working on a session with somebody, I can't go back and forth in emails and, and for, for another project back and forth. So she deals with all that. She, she collects the money and 
all of that stuff for me. She's, she's great, and she's really super thorough, and she's been in the business for 30 years. But she's just turned 31, so. Oh, okay. Not that old. Um, but, uh, no, she's, she's been in the business a long time, and okay. she's she really helps me out. So I'm glad she made this happen. And no. she was very – she was so excited about it when she got the email. And, and I was very unexcited because, like I had told you <laughs> off, off, off air, that I sometimes get requests that, that don't come through or people just kind of want to hang with you, and it's not really a thing. And it's like – you know what I mean? And I, I'll hang with anybody, but you don't have to come out as a – presumption of, uh, I'm going to do an interview with you. So people it, just email you to kind of just hang with you at a show? Like that, that something really? Something like that, you know what I mean? Wow, you know, that's kind of lame. I mean, you know what I mean? It's just, there's been, like I said, I don't get that many requests for okay. stuff, and that's why I'm <laughs> frankly surprised and whatever. But when I do, I ha- in the past I have looked into them very seriously, and, and then I kind of realized it's just sort of a fan and not really, you know, not really legitimate or whatever. But, uh, but I'm cool with that, too. I mean, you know what I mean? Fine. But it's just like, that's why I thought, oh, I heard radio? Really? <laughs> Me? I have a, I have a friend. Uh, she's, she's my friend to this day. Her name's April Bolina. She's, she's from Canada. And when I was playing in Warrant, we were somewhere in Canada doing something. And, and she, she, some festival, and, and like the Knack was on it, which was crazy, the Knack. And they looked, sorry. Wow, how, how long ago was that? They've, they've been broken up for quite some time. Yeah, so this, when I was in Warrant, this had to have been like 2002, one, two, or three. And anyways, we were playing somewhere in Canada, and it's outdoor, and the Knack were playing, and we had played, and our trailers were sort of, you know, motorhome kind of things were by each other, and Anyways, I saw the knack, and they, they I, gosh, with all due respect, they looked like four of the most miserable guys playing together. <laughs> I guess so. That's why they you know broke I mean? up. It was just crazy to me. <laughs> uh, but anyway, that's what I remember about the knack. But I'm glad I got to see them. And then sure. a few years later, which was terrible. Um, but, uh, but anyways, I met April, and she had to go to the bathroom. I was like, well, let's just go on our bus, whatever. It's fine. And, uh, you know, she went on the bus and came back out. And she's like, oh, I work for uh, KNAC. Uh, the joke is today, she gave me this card. And, uh, and it said April Bolina, KNAC Radio or something, uh, or online. I think online was just starting back in, like, 2000-ish, whatever, so, one, mm-hmm. two, or three. And um, I just thought it was funny. And, and I never – she didn't say I want to interview, but she was like, oh, I'm with this radio thing. And I don't even know what the fuck she really did. But I think she was a fan of music and still is a fan of music. And uh, maybe she did something or for the radio station via Canada, because that's where she lived. But it was just a funny thing. But it wasn't really anything. But we're still really good friends to this day. And um, she's probably one of the biggest KISS fans in the world, uh, as every biggest KISS fan every, is. I feel like every KISS fan says that. I'm the biggest fan. <laughs> I guess it's good for the band. The is, she, um, she went to a bunch of shows, and she would send me videos um, of, of like Eric Singer and the drum solo and blah, 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 and some of the show. And it, gosh, it looked amazing. Like uh, she was sending me things. She went to like, probably like 15 shows and then she went over to Europe and went, saw some shows and she sent me some, you know, texted me some videos and it's pretty, it's, it's pretty funny. But yeah, so, so yeah, big, big fan. And I, uh, the only thing that I have is, because I worked with Eric Singer on a Alice Cooper record. Oh, wow. He gave me one of his uh, signature Silver Sparkle Eric Singer Pearl snare drums and signed it. And I think he wrote in there, don't ever sell it. And, uh, <laughs> he gave me that. And then, um, did you sell it? Do you have it? Me Do you have an it? 11 okay. cup, 
that had Eric on it, like a Slurpee cup. And so I, it's funny. I texted. I, I texted this picture of the cup back to um, to April, saying, "This is the only really. This and the snare drum are the only kiss things I have." And uh, kind of whatever. And to a super fan, I think she laughed at me. <laughs> that cup's not worth anything. <laughs> anyway, maybe not to me. her. You never know. Uh, oh, who? Don't they try to sell, like, uh, uh, John Lennon's teeth? Like, you can buy uh, anything nowadays. So, probably. I, yeah, somebody will buy it. So if you're, if you're uh, hurting for some, for some bucks, I'm sure you can sell that Slurpee uh, Eric Singer cup any, you know, whenever you want. But that, well, that's, I hope not. I think the snare drum would fetch a lot more money, but I would never sell it. It's a really great snare drum. It was really a very kind thing of him to give me as a gift. He's only given a few, like, a few away, like three away, and that's it. And he had forgot he gave it to me. That's what a generous guy he is. Oh, nice. A big, you know, and that was really cool. It was really cool. Well, you can also save it for your kid's college if you want, if, you, if the emergency calls for it. But now, uh, what's going through my, my mind now, uh, Mike, it's so funny. You said, uh, again, off the air, uh, and I apologize to the listeners because we might have to keep re- re- uh, referencing that because we had a, you know, a nice conversation be- right before we started talking, and you said that you're kind of a... Uh, uh, what was the word you use? A not a surrogate New Yorker, but you're kind of like a honorary honorary New Yorker. And now I'm kind of getting the sense of it because it's what I do is sometimes when you're excited, you talk so like, we talk fast. We're fast talkers. So yeah. I, and I love how excited you are uh, right now. We haven't even gotten to you know, a little bit of your your history. And, and you, but you said something at the beginning which really caught my. My ear was that you knew you always wanted to be a drummer, and that's something yeah. I always talk about. It's like you listen to the Rocco episode. I wanted to hear how he got into the music business. So it was always drumming for you. Oh, since you're a Kiss fan, was 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 Peter Chris the reason for you drumming? Or was there something else uh, that kind of got yeah. you on this path that you're still doing today? Yeah, you know, it's funny. Is um, I was a, a Kiss fan. I, I um, enjoyed Peter Chris, but those guys, the way KISS does their whole thing is it's all of them. You knew all of them. So it wasn't just Peter Chris, or it wasn't just Gene Simmons, who I was afraid of, terrified of, um, uh, at whatever, seven or eight or nine years old. Um, I remember I would have to, I'd get a KISS record and I'd, I'd listen to it in my sister's room because there was a, uh, there was a, uh, she had a turntable in there. And I remember I had to walk down a hallway, and the hallway was like literally 12 feet from the living room to the bedrooms. And I'd look over my shoulder because I thought Gene was going to come out of the closet in the <laughs> hallway or, or, my, or my mom's room or the bathroom. And I was terrified because uh, he was the demon or whatever. But, uh, yeah, so, no, I wouldn't say Peter, no, uh, Peter isn't, isn't like a super whatever, but I enjoyed I enjoyed. Kiss and I enjoyed the thing of Kiss. And the funny thing is, I had a, I had a paper route right when I was I don't know probably twelve, and uh, where you get the papers delivered to you and you you put them on a you you have to wrap them up and fold them into a thing and you have a route in the neighborhood. Sure, I remember those and, days. Uh, <laughs> I the guy who was the leader of the the areas uh, who would. You know, say, okay, you gotta, this is how you do it, and this is whatever. This is how you collect the money, and it's whatever, blah, blah, blah. Um, uh, he was from New York, and he knew I was a Kiss fan. And this could be bullshit, but he told me he was friends with Paul Stanley. So I was like, okay, so whatever you, whatever you want me to do, 
you're friends with Paul Stanley? Well, that's, you know, as a kid, you're like, oh, you knew Paul Stanley? But, but, but then again, growing up in L.A. and living here, you're around people all the time. You see famous people all the time where it's not a big deal. And my dad was a carpenter for the studios, the motion picture studios, and he worked on Happy Days. And as a kid, I went to, to oh, wow. a Happy Days set. And oh, I, wow. Okay. People and, and whatever. And, and um, so I was around it at a young age, so it kind of just was like kind of normal to me, especially now, you know, drum teching with Green Day or Guns N' Roses or Nine Inch Nails or whoever. It's like, they're just people to me and I'm there to do a job and it's just like super normal. It's like, it's weird, except the time I worked for U2 a couple years ago and I worked for Metallica, I was kind of like, wow, this is pretty rad. You know what I mean? Okay. Uh, but I kept my shit together, but I was like, well, this is pretty cool. You know what I mean? So... I, I went off on your t- tangent, but uh, as a young kid, my 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 parents were a part of uh, were a part of this Italian American Federation, uh, a bunch of Italians at a church downtown L.A. called St. Peter's uh, Italian Church, and they would have these Sunday dinner dances or or feasts for the certain saints that they uh, from Italy uh, from from the Catholic Church that they would uh, honor. And so I had an uncle, Pete Pontrelli, who was a sax player, who had a little trio or quartet. And um, uh, I was just, I don't know, uh, you know, growing up, my dad was pretty strict. So he all, he, you're at a, you're at a function with like a couple hundred people. And my dad was pretty strict and he kind of was sort of like, didn't really let us be kids or be sort of normal and you had to stay in line and sit up straight and stay at the table and blah, blah, blah. And it was, he kind of had kind of ruled with the iron fist. I don't know if that makes sense to anybody, but. No, I got you. Sort of a, it's it was like sort a very, of, sounds like a very old school, conser- very you know, old. kind of like a conservative, maybe not politically, but just yeah. uh, morally a uh, conservative yeah. kind of person. And well, those, <laughs> not to go off the happy days uh, in, in uh, old sitcoms, but those were the days, as they yeah. used to say. So I, I get it. I, I so, get that. But did he, did he listen to music or did he just listen to, to droning? And like, what, like, where did you, because I got my musical influence from, from my dad. He got me into the Zeppelin. He got me into the Doors. No, and I, that's who no, I, I can no. credit. There, there was none of that. The music entertainment was at this church function at the dinner. They'd have this band, my, my Uncle Pete. Pete was playing. He's played sax. So, so uh, I was so bummed out. I could I could feel it now. I was so bummed out, like that. I went and this had, they had a stage, and the side of the stage had these wings in it, which were curtain wings that were sort of at an angle. And I could sit behind the the, the, the wing of the curtain, look and see the crowd, but then look and see the band playing. So. I would just sit there, and my parents knew I was there, and it was fine. I was injured because my Uncle Pete was playing or whatever. So, um, and it was fine. They were just doing their thing, and it, and it was what it was, my family, and the band was playing. So when the band would take a break, my Uncle Pete, there was a stool right in the middle of the stage, and he'd say, oh, Michael, come here, you, you sit here. And he'd, he'd pull whatever change he had in his pocket, three quarters, 15 cents. He said, hey, I want you to watch the bandstand. Make sure nobody comes up here and nobody takes anything. So I sat on the bandstand for their 15 or 20 minute break. And then I'd go back to the wing and then I'd watch the drummer. I didn't understand like the saxophone fingering. I didn't understand the piano fingers moving. I didn't understand. Uh, I think it was just piano, sax and drums. And maybe there was a bass player. I didn't understand that. But 
the four limbs of a drummer and watching his feet do things and his hands, that fucking captivated me. Okay. That saved me from being depressed, being there at my, with my family and the heavy fucking stay in line, strict father. So that, that was interesting to it. So then it went from the stool in the middle stage where I sat on the drum stool. And so the drummer came back up and he saw me looking at the pedals and he saw me just with my feet on the pedals. And he's like, hey, whenever you, here's, here's a little trick. If you, whenever you hit the cymbal, you hit the bass drum with it. So it was like, oh, he, I put a stick in my hand. He hit the cymbal in the bass drum, crash, boom, you know, boom, crash. And it was like, wow, this is cool. And that was it. I was just like, fuck, this is insane. Um, and I just, I, it was an escape for me. The, the drumming was an escape for the strict Italian, whatever, family. And, and how, how ironic that you, you discovered that through the church, because you may associate that with it's being... the Italian church. It's not, it's, you know, okay. it's the party and the dance and the food is, the, is what this thing, this social thing from all the Italians uh-huh. that came over from, from Italy, they had a, a group of, uh, man, there's, there's, there's thousands of them. There's different groups. It's pretty crazy. The church was a big thing for us growing up. Okay. I'm a Jew. I have no idea. <laughs> so, yeah. So, well, yeah. Well, you know what? The Italians and the Jews, we're the same. We really are. Pretty I much. Maybe, maybe the food for Italians is better, but the fucking Agreed. guilt from our moms is exactly <laughs> Very true. So, 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 anyway, so that was it. You know, and then, then I, I, uh, I, I, you know, some kid down the street was played drums and, 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 and then it was just, that was just my thing, you know. Uh, and, and, I, and I remember ta- telling my dad, um, if I, if I get the drum, I, well, I got the drums, I got the drums and I was taking lessons, uh, down at this little music store in Glendale called Larry Larson music store. And he was supportive of that. Uh, did he mind? I said, Listen, if, if you let me do this, I'll learn the, and I'd play it, you know, I'd sing it with my mouth and play it on the drums. I could, I could play the beats of the music that he knew the Italian music. Oh, oh okay. <laughs> Calming the, the, the bear, you know what I mean? The music, my dad being the bear, the angry, strict Italian, I calm him with the music, and at least it was, <laughs> huh. I don't know, I fuck, I, knowing how strict he was, I don't know how, he, how I talked my way into it and le- doing that. Maybe it was that. Maybe that was it. Mm-hmm. The, the, the singing the thing and playing the beats around it. You know what I mean? Just for him to see, look, this and that. And then I'd go and put on a police record and try to play like Stuart Copeland. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So. I like that. That, that was it. But then I wouldn't play when he when when he wasn't home. Uh, I, when he was home, I wouldn't play. But um, uh, but um, so I kind of kept it out of his hair as much as possible. Okay, that that's interesting. I haven't heard from everyone who I've, I've asked how their story began, how they got into their profession. That that's really a unique one, and I like the analogy that you give where. I remember so many cartoons, if you're trying to calm this, this beast, you play the violin, some calming music, whether it's a gorilla or a monster or whatever. So for you to perhaps play drums, calm the, the, the Italian monster. <laughs> but, well, I, just, I think, like I said, I think it was when I said, look, I can play this, like what they play at the church, this music, and, and whatever, I can play this thing. And I think okay. that, was, that was like a quick, okay, cool, cool. And then I won't, you, won't hear, you won't hear it if you're home. So, you know, I didn't play when he was home. So, so that's whatever. when you were younger. So then, obviously, you've been doing it for many years since. Mm-hmm. When did you uh, turn it into a profession? And what did, you, you, I guess, he think of it as a, a profession? When did, was it a, a band? Was it when you signed on to be um, like a, a, ses- a session musician? How did that 
come about, you becoming a professional drummer? Well, I think what what actually happened was when I I had worked at this music store and I had, had known some of the teachers there and there was an opportunity to go and audition to do like a week cruise ship gig. And uh, the drummer, uh, you know, these guys, I, I, I used to go see these guys play at a bowling alley when I was in high school. We all had phony IDs. My friends from high school would come and see me. There's a bowling alley. Forget what it was called uh, in Glendale. It's not there anymore. And uh, they would play, and then the drummer would put me up on the kit, and I would play some of the, like, 50s rock stuff or whatever. And then there was a song that had brushes, and so he put his arms around me and showed me how to do the brush strokes and whatever. It was more lounge kind of shit stuff. And, uh, and uh, so these guys had an opportunity, and this drummer, his name was uh, Michael, and his nickname is Spider, and his last name is Webb. So Spider Webb wasn't going to do this cruise ship gig, uh, this week cruise we, we thought it was a week cruise ship gig. So uh, <laughs> okay. I went down to this audition. Um, we played, uh, we played a song called Margaritaville, and it's a little cross-stick, straight-ahead rock thing by uh, Jimmy Buffett. Nice. And then the, 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 the contractor from the... This, this Harry James Orchestra company who would put these bands on cruise ships uh, said, can you play with us? And me being a cocky 19-year-old, or, you know, said, sure I can. You know what I mean? And then the next thing I knew, I'm on a cruise ship. Uh, the first cruise is a week. And the first cruise is from San Francisco to Mexico, and then through, through the Panama Canal to Florida, and then we're doing Caribbean cruises. And it's a three-month contract that I signed. And um, I had never been out of the house. I'd never fended for myself. And huh. it became like Princess Cruises University for me. So I learned how to play. A guy named Rich Watson from New York was the big band drummer. He took me under his wing. He showed me some rumbas and bossa novas and, and things like that. I mean, I, I faked it until I made it, uh, per se, as they say. Um, and I, I learned enough, and I got by, and it was like going to college. And my first contract was three months, and I was home for three months, and then I got another contract for three months, and home for three months. And so over two years, uh, so over four years, I did a total of two years of Princess Cruise Ship uh, lounge act drumming, you know what I mean, from trios to quartets to five okay. pieces and whatever. And I saw the world. And I made great friends, and I'm super stoked because I'm going over to see some of my friends that I worked with on the ship when I get over to England. They were all, like, bar staff uh, on the ship. I'm going to see them when we play in England in November. They're all coming out. There's, like, ten of them. It's, it's, it's awesome. Wow, that's – yeah. You, 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 uh, what was the name of the, the college you kind of gave it? Because like, it was like a floating uh, drum college. Yeah, Princess Cruises University oh, was what I call it. Another unique – a uh, situation that you don't hear all the time of how your, your first gig and were you excited for that to, to be on your own for the first time? Like, oh, finally, this is, you know, my chance to uh, be independent. Or were you were you nervous because you had been used to a strict uh, upbringing? You know, um, I, I just I had to get the fuck out of the house. Man. I had to <laughs> sure. Get out. You know what I mean? Uh, my, you know, my parents divorced at 15, thank God. My mom took me with her. Mm. Uh, when, the, when the judge asked um, me, who do you want to be with, your mom or your dad? You know, because at 15, you can make that choice. 14, you can't. Oh. And, and I said, and, 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 I, and, and before I could say it, he said, the judge said to me, you don't want to be with any of them, do you? You just want to be on your own, right? And, and he was just jo- trying to joke with me. I said, no, you know, I said, I said, if it's time for me to be a man, then I think my mom needs me more than my dad. 
And uh, so my dad took offense to that and <laughs> disowned me and blah, 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 whatever. Oh, I'm sorry you know to hear me? that. You know what I'm saying? So, um, so uh, you know, my mom, fuck, my mom is, is great. She's still around. And my friends know her and everybody knows her and she's a great cook. And if you ever come to L.A., come and we'll go to her house and she'll make food. It's awesome. It's, it's awesome. She, she's Thank great. You. So she was, she was great. But she also wasn't the, the you know, she wasn't. Not not supportive, but she wasn't supportive of this. She didn't know, but she knew, oh, he's going on a cruise ship. I've been on a cruise. That's good. Oh, he's working. Great. He's over here. She knew everywhere I was and every, everything I was doing, and it was great. I mean, I learned so much about life, and I have still great friends now because of it and great experience. And the craziest thing is I remember coming off the cruise ship, and this is just a side note because we're talking about it, but I remember I, was, I had a couple of roommates, and, and uh, I was playing a band with one of the guys, and and uh, and uh, and we played with this girl, and she was kind of like a Pat Benatar kind of thing, whatever. And I guess my, my roommate David had told me, or my friend David, the bass player, David Baldwin Hunter, if, if if he's got a Google search out for his name, who I haven't seen in 25 years, or have no idea where he is, but he um, he must have told her, oh yeah, Mike came up from a cruise ship gig. So I've been t- playing with them for like a month or two, and then it turned out that once she heard that, she's like, oh, he's too jazz. He's not rock enough for this band. And I thought, well, that's weird. You know what I mean? It's like, fuck, I wanted to be Bobby Blotzer from Rat with Stuart <laughs> Copeland inspiring me prior. I mean, I have this gamut of drummer influences, and it's like, wait a minute. Okay, you know, because I certainly am not a jazz drummer, but the cruise ship gave me some of that swing element to my playing. So, anyway, to make a long story short, I, I wasn't good enough for this rock band because I was too jazz because of the cruise ship scenario. But the craziest thing, fast forward to now, playing in Tiger Army, uh, 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 Nick, when I was checking on a Tiger Army record and their drummer wasn't cutting it, I was asked to do this, this Ghost Tigers Rise record, and, and, and the bass player asked me, you know, he said, we were three days in the studio, and Fred was, was you know, in a, in a robbery gone wrong, and he hadn't recovered from his injuries, and he had been shot, and it was six months prior, and, and we're three days in the studio, and he's just not, he's just not up, up to speed yet on, on his recovery, and we have to get this thing, this record done. Um, could you come in and play drums? And I thought to myself, well, I certainly can play the, the more rock stuff of Tiger Army, which is punk rockabilly or something called psychabilly. I, yeah. But I said I don't know. I said I don't know if I could do that stuff. And then and then and Jeff Kresge, the bass player, said, No, no, no. Nick's heard you, you know, checking the drums, and he saw that you have swing in your in your feel, and you have ghost notes, and, and there's a thing. He goes, he knows you can do it. And I was like, All right, let's go. And then I went in the next day, and ten days later. 14 songs later we're done and then six months later they're going out on tour and and they did a couple dates and it wasn't happening with with fred he still wasn't recovered and and uh i tried to help him as much as i could if if they wanted me to to help him get into shape to go and they didn't they just wanted to make the change i did the warp tour 2004 which is the vans warp tour that goes around the country and um sure well that's ending but i was also i was also had been playing with Warrant from 2000 till till then. Got fired for, I think, fucking one of Janie's chicks or something. Oh, uh, when he said it was cool, but it, apparently it wasn't cool. 
And then uh, I did this tour. It was a perfect storm. I did the tour. I met my now wife on that tour. She played drums in the Groovy Ghoulies, which is a band from uh, Sacramento. And uh, whatever, it's just kind of all this... uh, it's all encompassing in a weird way how it all happened. Yeah, and I think just like at the beginning, I'm just trying to wrap my head around everything that you've been a part of. And I, I off, I've used this analogy with other guests, and that's the, the back of your, of your baseball card. You know, is it, it's, it's not just who, like what you may uh, be most known for. It's just the, the resume and, and, and the teams, you know, a.k.a. a... Uh, you know, a band that you've been a part of that have brought you on, along this journey that you're still doing it to this this very day. Uh, so that you actually answered one of the questions from my uh, silent producer today, uh, John, because he wanted to to know how you joined Tiger Army. And is is it true that you weren't credited on that credited on that album, but you're going to be credited on this one? Uh, so- I understand what John's the, the 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 third record was called Ghost Tigers Rise, and and no, it's what's what's really funny is I'd have to look, you know what I'm gonna while I'm talking to you I'm gonna look because there was a big explanation that Nick did Nick Thirteen our our singer and leader of Tiger Army um, he you know because Fred had been shot in this robbery gone bad I mean he almost got killed I mean he was he was. He was in the wrong place at the wrong time, and, uh, and he survived it, which is which is amazing. And Fred and I are still friends today. But yeah. what what John is is saying is um, uh, something uh, the way it's it's very um, sort of confusing. But uh, he he did a big special note. He wrote a, a note on drums. Fred Hell was shot four times in the spring of 2003 due to circumstances beyond anyone's control. He was unable to play drums on this. Record. All drums on this record were played by Mike Fasano. Mike, we can never thank you enough. Fred is the drummer of Tiger Army, and such as his name and photo appear on this album. Okay, but what's really funny with that description, if you look up in like allmusic.com, I don't have a credit for playing drums on this record, that's even weird. though it was stated in a in a paragraph. So I think that's what John is referring Got to. It. Okay. So, um, so yeah, it's kind of fun. It's actually kind of cool because it's like whenever we play uh, on tour. When I came back in 2015 to the Tiger Army, Nick does a big thing. Is like, and Mike played on Ghost Tiger's Rides. He played on this song, and but it was great to have him back and whatever. But it's kind of funny that that special note that that Nick did um, nixed out me getting a credit. Uh, when you look up, it's playing drums on the record, but I played on the record. Gotcha. Interesting. So, All right. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully that answers John's question. I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure great it does. Great question. That's a fucking great question. <laughs> That'll make him happy for sure. So then what was your, your first big break? While you're doing, you, you joined Tiger Army under crazy circumstances. You're, you're doing stuff with Warrant. Were those your, was that the beginning when you're jumping on these already established names? What was when you went from, uh, you know, the Cruise College to... You know, starting uh, to play with the big boys. This this, uh, this podcast um, is called Appetite for Destruction. Distortion. Distortion. I spelled it wrong. No, that's all right. Um, uh, the the Guns and Roses connection to it is my first big thing was Gilby Clark. Oh, okay. Um, uh, I would I had worked on his record. Um, I, I had worked, my first record I ever teched on was The Spaghetti Incident, and that was with, with Matt. Matt's drum tech 
touring drum tech, Timmy Doyle, was in Texas having a baby with his wife, and uh, they had to finish up this Spaghetti Incident record. So Matt said, Matt, Matt and I were, were roommates. Uh, that was another thing. Matt said, you've got to get off the cruise ships. If, you, if you're on the cruise ships, you can't audition for anybody in L.A., and it's all about auditioning. So why don't you come and be my roommate? I roomed with Matt for uh, the, the, the time he was in Guns N' Roses. How did you know him at the time, just being uh, in this? I met him because I had rehearsed with, like, a blues band out of high school, out of cruise ships or around the cruise ships time, a blues, country blues band at this place in Burbank that's not there, that this guy Gary Moon from a band called Moon Sparks, uh, who Matt had played with. Um, Gary Moon was a bass player. He had a little rehearsal room. Matt lived in the closet, like literally the, the closet that had a window. It was probably a control room at some time. He lived up there because he played with Gary. He, and he lived up there, and he was the guy when we'd rehearse from 8 till 10 o'clock at night, he, would, he was the guy, Matt was the guy who turned the PA system on and, and uh, moved, you know, stuff out of the way. So you bring your drums in, you know, and then you leave. And we just got chit-chatting, and I worked at a music store right up around the corner from where he, he lived in this rehearsal room. Um, and uh, he came in, he bought some sticks, and I'd hook him up and give him my discount and blah, blah, blah. And we were just friends. And then my mom and I lived up the street in a condo come up for dinner and have some of my mom's amazing food. So my mom fed him. Okay. Um, uh, we were just kind of friends, and cool. he was playing around town. This is, you know, uh, this is like 87-ish, 88. So and, um, he wasn't with the cult then, right? Oh, no, check right. this out. And then he came into the store one day uh, and, and said, this is pre-cell phones and even pagers probably, sure. right? yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, he came to the store, he goes, yeah, he goes, I just auditioned for this band, The Cult. And I said, fuck, I go, Matt, that's awesome. I go, Cults are great. I just got turned on to this record called The, the Love Record and uh, blah, blah, blah. And, and, uh, and, and he goes, well, I got the gig and I'm going on, on, a, on a world tour. I go, oh, that's going to be amazing. I think this band's great. I said, I didn't realize, you know, so, and, then he, and he didn't, Matt Storm did not play on the Sonic Temple record, but he played on the Sonic Temple tour. So... Um, I, I, uh, was like, this is great. Uh, whatever. I went to see him, uh, gosh, I don't even know why we're talking about this, but, uh, <laughs> uh, I went to see him, uh, play at the, um, the, uh, the, the Universal Amphitheater, the Guns N' Roses guys were there. They saw him play, uh, the last two nights of the world tour, Sonic Temple, he gets a call to do, uh, Steven was in rehab to do, start working on the, uh, the Use Your Illusions records mm -hmm. to, to do rehearsals and then play it on the record. Then they asked him to be in the band. So to make a long story short or longer, uh, I had known him. I had known Gilby. I, uh, after that tour, I met them on the Spaghetti Incident record. I was drum teching on it, but then they asked Matt, let me play tambourine and shakers and cowbell on a couple of things. And I, I made more money doing that than working at the music store that I worked at. And I went from there to, Matt said, well, Timmy's in Texas. Why don't you just be my, tech, my, be my drums tech in town? I'm going to be doing a lot of sessions until Guns N' Roses goes out again. And that version of Guns N' Roses never, ever went out again, as right, you know. Right. So I did that record. Uh, the first rec record I worked on was Spaghetti Incident. And then the next thing Wait, I so did Wait, so did you play Tambourine on Hair of the Dog? Is that, was, that was your contribution? Tambourine, uh, Shakers. Whatever, and, and how you got paid through the union was 
scale. So tambourine was $350. Um, shakers were $350. Um, uh, uh, you know, cowbell was $350. You know, these overdub things that huh. you do. Wow. Do you know what I mean? So, I have no idea. And then, uh, and then there was, uh, gosh, there's another song. I can't even think about it right now because it's been so long. But there's another song I played Shaker and Tambourine on. And this is all stuff Matt could have did, but he was like, eh, fuck it, you just do it. And it was <laughs> okay. the greatest thing for me. I got credited on a record. I got some more money than I ever had, quit my job, lived with him, did some drum teching for him, um, and, and seriously, like Matt Sorum, I still say it today, he's the big brother I've always wanted but never had, and, mm-hmm. and he's a big brother to me. And, and, not, not, and, and, and a drum inspiration. He's a fucking great, he's one of the greatest rock drummers living. Um, sometimes m- maybe his antics or whatever might get in the way, you know, but, and, and, but all of the other things that he does... Um, are, are, are great things, you know, like uh, his, his uh, music in schools and, and uh, his charities and all, all the stuff he's doing. But I owe so much to Matt Sorum. It was so organic. But I never, I never ask him for anything. You know what I mean? We're just friends. That's the whole thing of this, you know? That's probably um, why he, he wanted you to, to be a part of the spaghetti incident, because here's my friend. I want him to be involved. And like you said, he could have easily done that. He and, did the thing himself. You yeah. know what I mean? And if or, he or, or a band like that could have hired Luis Conte, one of the top <laughs> session percussion players, to play a simple thing on the record. You know what I mean? Or a, a elaborate thing. But it's that's not what Guns N' Roses was. But yeah, it was it was life. I mean, my life, my life. I, I mean, I owe so much to Matt. How was being his his roommate? Did you guys stay up late braiding each other's hair? I mean, what 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 is it like to be Matt yeah. Sorum's roommate? <laughs> Kind of what I remember, <laughs> which which uh, tells part of is, the story uh, is 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 obvious to me. Is I remember I would work. I worked at a music store. I worked at a music store, and I worked from like nine thirty to six. I'd get home at six in the evening, and I would I would either be I would have a gig at like nine thirty at night, like a top forty gig or a country gig or a blues gig. These little fifty dollar gigs I would do around town throughout the week. Uh, playing drums, and uh, I'd get home around that time, like 6.30 or 7. Matt would sort of just be getting up, you know what I mean, at that time? And Matt was a great, Matt can make, Matt makes a great omelet. If you ever have the chance (laughs) to have Matt Sorum make you an omelet. Who doesn't uh, have that chance? At 7 o'clock at night, even. Okay. That was it, so he'd sort of feed me a little omelet, get some stuff, and he'd be kind of, you know, starting his day, and I'd go off and do my gig, and whatever, or we would go off and uh, go out and hit, hit the, the rainbow and the, the, it used to be called the Viper Room or before that was the Central. Um, and we'd hit these places and then we'd go up to Duff's house on Mulholland and, and I'd, I don't know, I'd get home at like 4.30 or 5 in the morning, but I'd have to sleep a couple hours to get to work at 9.30. That's what it was kind of like living with Matt Sorm. It wasn't braiding hair, <laughs> definitely that kind of thing. But, you know, I was young and it was like, fuck, this is awesome. And I, you could do it. I got to, you know, hang with all these guys that I sort of respect. It's weird. Once you step onto like the other side of it, 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 nobody had camera phones and, you know, nobody had any of that shit uh, back then. Um, You were just hanging out and you're at somebody's house and you're having drinks and partying and, and, you know, 
all of the stuff in between, you know. But, um, yeah, so that's kind of how it was. And then I'd go to work the next day on two or three hours of sleep and uh, do my thing, and then it, it would repeat. And then it's like, oh, it's Wednesday night. It's happening at this club. Uh, you know, it's, a, it's whatever. That's kind of how it was, you know. And then, you know, when he was gone on tour, I was, you know, holding the fort down, watering the lawn, and, you know, <laughs> keeping an eye on his girlfriend, Lisa. You know what I mean? We had some friend come over and use the jacuzzi quite often. Some guy friend, and it was kind of weird, but, um, uh, but you know, whatever. That's, you know, I kept my eye on everything, I guess. You, you said something, and I'm only bringing it up now because you thought it was so funny off the air. You said there was a special first that you had uh, with Matt Sorum. Is that correct? Well, the funniest thing was when I was living with Matt, you know, Matt would party, you know what I mean? And I was like, man, gosh, I wish you wouldn't. I wish you wouldn't do all of that cocaine. You know what I mean? And, and I was just kind of, because I was just this good Italian kid raised from the strict father, uh, you know, just like whatever, you know, so whatever. So fast forward a few years, we're working on the, the I think it's the second Snake Bit rep record, or maybe it's the first one, who knows. Um, and, uh, and we're at the studio, and uh, Conway Studios in Hollywood, and we're, you know, the, the Coke dealer friend is there, Matt Sorum's there, Jerry Finn, rest his soul, who's an engineer, who's another huge part of my existence in, in the music business, uh, working on records. Um, He's there, and uh, Slash, so it's, we're in the little lounge, the cocaine comes out, it's on the table, and uh, I did my first line of cocaine with Matt Sorum, Slash, Jerry, and the Coke dealer. And uh, I remember after doing my first line of cocaine, I thought to myself, hmm, I see why everybody likes this, and I see why, <laughs> why you know, I see whatever, why it's so, why people like it. And then I did another line, and whatever, it's, you know, whatever, f five in the morning, everybody dissipates after partying. I take Jerry Finn home back to, to Tarzana and his girlfriend's pissed because we roll in at five in the morning and then we have to be back at the studio for the next day at one o'clock to, to keep recording. So that's my, that's my, uh, my first with Matt Sorum. And I went through a cocaine thing for, uh, uh, you know, I'd say four or five or several years, but I was functioning and um, uh, I'm just glad I'm on the other side of it. Let's just put it that way. I'm, I'm not sober, but I'm just, I'm glad I made it through that because it got pretty dark. Um, Coke's a weird drug. Once you do it, you're always chasing it. You know, I don't know if you've ever done it, but um, it's just, just I'll say just uh, literally once and it was many, many years ago and it just, I don't know, it wasn't for me. It just wasn't for me. Uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm like I said, I'm glad I made it through to the other side and and uh, you know whatever. But yeah, so that was my my thing. It's pretty thing, pretty pretty funny looking back upon it and whatever. But well, hey, n none of those guys held a gun to my head. But if I'm gonna do it. Fucking slashes right there. The coke dealers there. I mean that that's yes, I understand that because you, you're young and this is a common thing that many people do experimenting with. 
with drugs, and we're not talking about now the the moral high ground of a, of a young person doing it. And certainly, we've we've learned more about addiction and mental health and depression uh, over the years. And of course, I'm I'm happy that you're on the other side of it. I I will soon be uh, four years sober from alcohol uh, in in December. Yeah, so we, we that's something we else we we talk about with the six degrees of of GNR bacon because with all the guys they've had you know addiction issues you know that's how uh, Matt got the gig with Guns N' Roses because of what Stephen was was dealing with. Right. Uh, was there anything that you and I know we'll go back to some of the uh, more fun stuff, but was there anything that you you did that kind of woke you up? Because I'm sure because you mentioned some friends already that have passed. That kind of just made it click for you and say, you know, what, I can't live this life anymore. You know, what's really funny is, I've, like I said, this thanks to the strict Italian upbringing and the Catholic school and all that stuff. I, I always had to nobody. I wasn't a rock star, so nobody could take care of me. I always had to go to work that next day. I always oh. had to do mm. this thing. So I think it just got to the point where um, I, you know. Uh, I don't think I, knock on wood, I don't think I have an addictive personality per se as, let's say, or I don't know, your story was you didn't think you were addicted to drinking alcohol, correct? Correct. But your therapist said you got to stop drinking oh, because yeah. she saw something through that, right? A hundred percent, yeah. Okay. So, see, I can, I can almost be your co-host. I can <laughs> interview you. But um, but for me it was just I always had to I had to, I have, still to this day I have to be responsible for myself, you know what I mean? Still to this day I'm the guy setting my drums up before the Tiger Army show and after the Tiger Army show and I've got to play the show. So I just I always had this this responsibility was keeping me in line. And um, even though I partied all night and shit got dark and shit got weird, I still had to pull it together. So for me I, I just. Um, uh, you know, the coke started getting bad. Um, it started to not be fun. Um, it wasn't about the money or anything like that. I'm sure I, you know, lost thousands of dollars or whatever. But uh, but uh, I, it, I don't know. I just it just got to the point where it was, it was dark and it wasn't fun anymore. And it just whatever. It just it just kind of one of those things. Like I said, I was fortunate because it, its hooks weren't in me. You know, and and if I partied, it was a couple of times a week, pretty hard. But it wasn't every night, and it wasn't every, you know, it wasn't wake and bake for the stoners. It wasn't, you know, I have to have a, you know, five, six-pack a night of beer. It wasn't anything like that. So even to, even to this, even, even, even when I was touring with Warrant, because I wasn't in the band and I couldn't be a fuck-up, um, meaning I was the drummer in the band, but I wasn't an original guy, I had to play every night. So we had five nights in a row. That, on that fifth night, and we had a day off the next day, Fuck, I would go in pretty hard, smoke a little weed, try to find some blow, do some booze, whatever, and whatever, and be sort of hungover the next day, but I didn't have to play. It was sort of like a release to the pressure of doing the job, and, uh, which is being the guy in the band, you know, dealing with everything that you have to deal with. So um, if well, that makes any sense. So I was I kind of just pulled, you know, I was like, ah, it's not good anymore. I'm not into, you know, I'm not into it. Now, don't get me wrong. If somebody said, this is the fucking best Coke, do you want to try some? At my age, it, I would probably think I could do it, but not really want to do it. <laughs> I'm just, it's whatever. I got you, but what you just mentioned. Here's a funny thing. Okay. If I did a line of Coke, the joke was, 
with everybody, I'd start to get I'd start to get locked up. So I'd go from a uh, standing upright position to standing up and getting into almost standing up a fetal position. I would get so locked up on coke, and they they would say, "Oh, look at the sack; he's getting fetal again." And that was the big joke. I couldn't hide being on blow because mm. I'd do a few lines, and then I'd be feeling great and saving the world with conversation and blah blah blah. And then I'd start to tighten up and lock up, and I just get you know I just get so locked up. And the other big crazy thing is I could never get I once I do a little blow I could never get anything down my throat I couldn't drink anything but but then you'd have to pound some beers or something to level the the high of the coke off you know what I mean I would just be trying to swallow beers down just to fucking balance it out all of this sounds like it wouldn't be conducive to be a drummer you can't be a locked up drummer me maybe for guys that you know like the Tommy Lee's and the James Kotak's and the guys who've had you know vivid cocaine experiences uh, functioning. It's not me, definitely. I couldn't do it. I think smoking weed. I used to smoke a little bit of weed, but I could never do it before I played because it would just make me tired and I would just be forgetful. It wouldn't be fun. Now, smoking a little weed and listening to a record or going to a concert, that's a whole different thing. It's like sensory overload, but I couldn't do it playing. It's just weird. Drugs kind of affect me. Well, let me ask, because it's interesting that I'm speaking with you today, and actually, I believe, I don't know if it's in our next couple episodes, um, I'm going to be interviewing Bobby Jean Brown, and it was just the the anniversary of Janie Lane's passing just the other day, August 11th. Uh, I can't believe it's been eight years. Yeah. So what was that experience like? Because we, I mean, he's, a, unfortunately, a, a cautionary tale. You know, he's a beloved he was a beloved singer and, and figure, but much like other people that we talk about on this podcast, Scott Weiland, Chester Bennington, it's just uh, it's someone that we, we lost uh, too, too young. So what was that experience like? If the, the, even though you saved it towards the end of that week you know, with the drinking, did you, I don't know, I guess what was your experience like with Janie and Warrant, I guess is the broad uh, question. Well, Janie... Um Janie saw, I met Janie when I was playing with Gilby. We were up in Vegas. We played a place called Pinkies, and it was their fourth anniversary or something thing. And um, Gilby was the headliner, and Janie came up just to do some acoustic songs and, and whatever. We were at Soundcheck. We, we ended up jamming a couple songs with him on the show. And, and the weirdest thing about Janie was, um, and he was sober at the time. Uh, he was great. He was super cool. And then... Um, he, Warren played in L.A. at the Roxy like a, a month later, and I saw him backstage, and, and, uh, and uh, uh, he, he, he said, hey, man, it was great playing with you in Vegas, that dude jamming those cover songs. And I thought, holy fuck, Janie Lane remembered that, <laughs> and uh, whatever. And I thought, okay, cool. And then like a month later, I got a call from his manager saying, Janie wants to put a band together when Warren's not touring, and he wants to do covers. And it's going to be kind of an all-star band. We're going to get Carrie Kelly from Rat, who um, has played with everybody. We're going to get Robbie Crane from Rat uh, to play bass. And, uh, and what's funny is the Warrant drummer at the time, uh, Danny Wagner, would play keyboards and some guitars. So it's a couple of guys from Warrant, a couple of guys from Rat, and you, the name will attach, would be the Gilby Clark gig. I was like, and, and, and Janie, Janie really wants to do it with you. I was like, all right, fuck, I'm in, let's do it. And we would just do these things where we go to Vegas, San Diego, Phoenix, 
and, and play these covers, a little bit of Rat, a little bit of Zeppelin, a little bit of blah, 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 whatever. And, uh, and that was sort of kind of the thing. And, I, and I, I had met Janie Sober. And that was at the end of 99. Uh, they did their New Year's show in 2000, Warrant. They played somewhere. And uh, Danny quit the band. And Janie called me and said, hey, listen, uh, you know, Danny quit. We have four or five gigs booked in like a week. Um, I know you can do it. I told the guys about you. You're going to do this Warrant thing with us for these four or five shows. And, and he said, but I'll be honest with you, um, the guys, he called them the senior partners, which would be Eric Turner, guitar player, and Jerry Dixon, are probably going to want to hire a kid tall, skinny, long blonde hair, not really playing much a week just to go out and tour. If he can get laid and fucked up and whatever and be in war, <laughs> they don't care. All right, cool. So, so he gave me some stuff, did a couple things, did these gigs with Warren. The next thing I know, um, I get a call from Eric Turner saying, hey, are you available? You know, it's a week later to do a photo shoot, blah, 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 for Warrant, blah, blah. And I was like, what, I was like, what the fuck, a photo shoot? It's like, what's going on? I called the manager and, he said, oh, don't you know? They love you. They want you to be in the band. And it's like, well, well I'm not the tall, skinny, blonde kid. I'm the middleweight, sort of tall, dark-haired, short-haired kid, you know? Not kid, you know? Sure. But, uh, no, go to this thing. So it started that way, and I, I got in the band, and touring with Warrant was incredible. It was, like, it was like being in the best cover band you could be in, because that's kind of, I'm always, you know, the guy playing in established things. Um, it was great playing all those songs. It was, I mean, you, you know, Cherry Pie, Down Boys, Heaven, you know, all of that stuff. It was just like it was just hit after hit after hit for that genre of music. So it was amazing. So touring with Jamie, Jamie was like, he was sort of took me under his wing. And it's like, I, you know, uh, I remember hanging out with him and, and he's, he said uh, to me, um, you know, and I was single, and he was like, uh, I had met some chick, and, 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 and I didn't know what to do. We, you know, I had this chick, but I was rooming with the tour manager. And I was like, well, what do I do? What do I do? He's, he's like, just get a room, man. He goes, you're in Warrant. Get a, get, a, get a hotel room. Get your own hotel room. You're in Warrant. And, I, and, I, and whatever, and of course I got charged back that, you know, <laughs> for my pay. But, but it was just kind of funny, just stupid shit like that was just like whatever. And he showed me a lot of music that um, I didn't know. He, Janie, was a great drummer. Janie was incredible when he was so sober. But, but then he got to drinking again, and, and the drinking sort of made him a monster. But... I was always a fr just a, f a friend to him in the sense of, of um, in the sense of, uh, I never tried to get him to stop. I didn't try to save him. You can't save somebody that doesn't want to save themselves. Yeah. Now I didn't aid and abed him in doing it, but um, I I didn't judge him, and I think he realized that, and uh, and I think our relationship was based upon that. Um, also, uh, uh, you know, he was super fucked up in 2004. And, uh, and uh, I f apparently started dating and some, uh, we'll just call her Sally from Dallas, sure. um, who said it was cool, but it wasn't cool. And then, uh, you know, I got fired. 
And then uh, he called me, you know, and and a couple months later when he showed up and he apologized, he said, I'd really like to work with you again in the future, but we're going to do this with this drummer now and blah, 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 and whatever. And it's like, okay, cool, man. I'm, I'm just glad our friendship was cool. And then I got hired back to, to play again, okay. you know what I mean, with them again. But in that time, that's where Tiger Army stepped in and I played on the record, did the tour and whatever. So it was, uh-huh. it was a... It was kind of an interesting time, but he was, he was a great guy, super talented. It was really hard for him because nobody took him serious. People like that interview that everybody has seen um, uh, on MTV when, when, when he, he looks horrible and, he, and he's like, yeah, people just know me as the cherry pie guy. And my legacy's cherry pie. Everything about me is cherry pie. I'm a cherry pie guy. I could shoot myself in the head for writing that song. He was writing stuff that was, at the time, it was alternative uh, radio rock. Um, his friends, uh, the band Lit, was an 80s strip metal band called Razzle. Those guys seemed to have changed their thing, and they became this 90s, 2000s oh, I didn't know that. sort of band. Did you know that? No, Lit I did was not. a band called Razzle from the Strip? I did not. I mean, they're, they're a high school band for, for me, Lit. You know, okay. grew up on their music, sure. This is going to blow your mind. And all, all your listeners, I just found out they're fucking super country now. And if you what? look up Lit, they're like, now they're trying to cross over to country. It's crazy. And it's really good because that country stuff is just so structured and perfect. It's, it could be Tim McGraw or whoever, Kenny Chesney or Dirk Bentley, whatever, of country. These guys are doing it. Are they going to get the credit? Uh, uh, trying to go into Nashville from being a, uh, well, nobody knows them as Razzle, but as Lit now trying to cross over into this country thing, I don't know, because Nashville's its own little weird, um, uh, uh, you know, boys club in a way of, of, of music. So If they do uh, my own I, worst I enemy. Someone, somebody played a video for him, I was like, holy shit, this is like crazy. It's <laughs> It, it would be like any of those country, which, well, that's the other thing that sucks about the country music of today is it's very generic, but it's all, you hear a song one time, it's like, oh, that's a great song, it's familiar. And uh, is it going to work for them? I don't know. Good luck to them. They've always been cool to me, the guys that I know and have met. I'm going to look it up later. Do they have a, a country version of My Own Worst Enemy? Have they stripped that down with banjo? No, I don't know. I, you know, I don't know. I don't think so. But the, right, whatever the, that. the video that, that first pops up, you'll hear it, and you're gonna, you'll, you'll go, holy shit, no way, yeah. Well, I guess if, uh, you know, Hootie can do it, and, you know, other people can change uh, genres. Oh, uh, I got a great Hootie story. Remind me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but, but anyways, um, but... Uh, but uh, well, well, we'll credit that uh, the Janie question because a lot of people knew you, you uh, from Warrant as well. Uh, CJ from Ohio wanted to know about that. He goes on to say, "I'm friends with uh, Billy Morris, formerly of yeah. Warrant, and I spent the day with with Mike U, uh, and he was really a nice guy back in the day when Janie was alive." So uh, CJ from uh, CJ Gunn from Ohio says, "What's well, up, CJ? Says, yeah, Hello. no, Janie, Janie was great. Janie was great. And it's it's like, yeah, it, it's terrible. He's gone." You know, the thing about it was, I think that the thing that sucked is he'd be fucked up. His manager would get him into rehab and deal with all of his shit. All of the shit that, as terrible as Janie could be, fucked up. He would deal with all that stuff. 
and then Janie would get get back on the road, and, and we'd be playing bars where you're, you're literally, you can put your arm out to your left, and somebody will give you a shot or a cigarette or a joint or whatever, and and he'd go to rehab, he'd sober up, and then he'd be back on the road. I, I think he wasn't... So hard. I, th- I don't think he was ready to fucking be, be sober, mm. but I think if he could have made it past that point, like a lot of these guys have, like Jerry Cantrell and... and uh, and Zach Wilde, look at how successful those bands are. Mm. You know what I mean? Because those two guys are sober. Janie never just ne- could never get to that. At what he didn't make it to the other side. If he would have made it, Janie would have been successful. Warrant would have been do- killing it like they're killing it now with all the the, the original guys and um, whatever. But he just didn't make it, and it's uh. the fucking worst thing because he was he was you know for that that just as a human he was a good sweet guy mm. and it's just he he was he was just in a lot of pain uh, you know what i mean and, and a lot of pain and and struggling with being not taken seriously i remember Kerry kelly and him wrote some songs my friend jerry finn heard them uh, jerry got them some meeting at a label somewhere J- janie they they, they, they didn't they didn't tell Jerry that it was Janie Lane. They didn't tell somebody else at the label it was Janie Lane. But then, and, and everybody heard it and thought, oh, this is really great. And then they heard it was Janie Lane, and then it, then it didn't become great. Uh, and, then, and, and Janie, that became a chip, another chip on his shoulder, another uh, cross to bear, as they say in the Catholic world, uh, another rock that, that just kind of shoved him down. And, and it's it just fucking tough, man. If you think about it, you're, you're pro- prolific and you write songs, and because you were in Warrant, nobody's going to take your new shit seriously because it's different. And, and he was inspired by Razzle, who turned into Lit, and, and Lit were pretty successful as an as a alternative rock band. Absolutely. No? Wow, that's, so, yeah, that, that's something else. That's, that's a common theme uh, throughout this podcast as well. When I was looking through the uh, who I can interview that was part uh, of the spaghetti incident, I came across the name Richard Duguay. So he had, you know, uh, just one song uh, on the the spaghetti incident. He played, you know, guitar on "You Can't Put Your Arms Around a Memory," and he he is so against not that defining him and putting out new music, and that's just a common theme. And yeah, I do remember that interview. With Janie, and um, it's going to be interesting when I talk to Bobby about that in, in a couple episodes because she embraces that, and I wonder if that changed uh, throughout the years because it's like actors you get typecast. Like, do you ever see Urkel out there? I think I actually saw Steve Urkel in like one of those sci-fi movies about killer spiders. It's, right, right. But, but he's always going to be Steve Urkel. I think the greatest, uh, the kind of, and I appreciate you sharing your story and being so candid, but uh, the kind of make it. Lighter, I think the, the the person who did the biggest change from not being typecast has to be Marky Mark. He's Mark Wahlberg. I can't. Sure. So that's that's my terrible segue into because uh, I I don't want to keep you here forever, and you have so many wonderful stories and experiences, and I want to make sure I, I get my listener questions in. So that sure. was from uh, CJ wanted to know about your time with Warrant and and Janie, and this one is it was it was a great time. Again, it was just another thing, you know. Uh, playing with Warren got me to be in the Alice Cooper golf tournament. I played in the Alice Cooper golf tournament with with guys like Cheech Marin and uh, from Cheech and Chong and uh, Chuck Woolery from uh, Love Connection. Love Connection, and, sure. and uh, there was uh, music being played, and 
I jammed with Don Felder from the Eagles, and Don reached out to me after that and said, hey, I'm doing this Dennis Quaid charity in Dallas, Texas, and I'd love if you played with me and this charity. We're going to do 14 or 15 songs and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, fuck, and I played with Don Felder and doing these corporate charity gigs uh, when he was out of the Eagles uh, because of Warrant, because he... I, I had a name attached to me, which was Warren. And I, and I you know, uh, you played with him as a thing. It's like, oh, well, I can get the guy from Warren. Because even Don Felder knew that Warren was an 80s band. You know what I mean? Mm. So, um, uh, you know, whatever. So, I, gosh, so many things. You always have to have some kind of attachment to your name. Everybody wants somebody that has an attachment. Very few unknowns get pulled up. Sure. Uh, out of the out of the blue to do a gig, so they then, always want to know something they can put on on the on the, the, the mentioning of, of your your association with another band. This is another question. This is from uh, Eric Haber. He wants to know that if you still tech for Trey Cool from Green Day, and if you have any cool Green Day stories. Definitely, um, I definitely have tons of Green Day stories. Um, you know, what's really funny is a couple of years ago when I. I was uh, when I started playing in 2015 with with Tiger Army again. Um, I got a call from Trey Cool, and he said, he said, man, he goes, we're we're going in to do demos, and I, I really want to change my bass drum sound, and uh, uh, you know, it's like everybody's taken the American Idiot sample that Chris Lordalgy, who mixed the record, took that we had created. Uh, and every on, on all, all of the records that he mixes that are rock or, or punk, pop, whatever, um, on the radio was our kick drum. He goes, I want to change it up. So I remember talking to him for like an hour. I said, this is what I think you should do, blah, 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 and uh, whatever, and uh, because I was getting ready to leave and um, for, for Tiger Army stuff, and um, they were supposed to be writing. And writing and uh, just doing, like, demos. It turns out that these writing sessions turned into, the demos turned into being what their, their record was, which was, I believe it's called Revolution Radio. Okay, yeah. And, um, and uh, so they sort of, I mean, stuff was sounding so good. There were no techs except I think Billy had a guitar tech there that took care of Mike and Billy and, and uh, Trace just kind of did his own thing. Trey's a great drum tuner, uh, picked out the things and these things that were demos turned into that record. Cause that's how great th- those guys are playing together and how great of a songwriter and, and, and the three guys together create. So it's something they did sort of all on their own. You know what I mean? And, uh, and then uh, I got a call from him early this year in in January, and he called me and and uh, said, "Hey, I just wanted you to hear this before um, you hear it on the street, but we're going to go in in February. We're going to start recording." And uh, and he said, he said, um, "I don't know what days we're going to do drums. We might do three drum tracks in a week. We might do one in three weeks. And it's just like it's kind of like." what they did with these demos, the, the last record, it's just, it's not going to be knocked out in a certain amount of time. And, and he said, it, he said, I said, I'm not, he said, I just want you to know, I said, I'm not going to have you work on this record with me. And, um, and uh, I'm going to have Nathaniel 
um, who's his live drum tech, um, to set me up. And you know, if I need to head change, whenever the odd thing, he's on the Green Day, you know, tip with knowing Trey and what he needs. And he's available and around whenever on call for them. And I was like, fuck, I go, I go, I go, I, I totally understand. I completely understand. And I said, but I also say, I also said, I appreciate you calling me. You certainly didn't have to call me and do that because you could, somebody else could have did it or nobody could have called me. But our friendship over the years and family, Trey was at my wedding. I was at his wedding. We're, we're, you know, we're, you know, not with everybody I work with, but because I'm not the guy asking for the autograph or the picture or the this or the that, I just, I'm there to do a job with these guys. There's a trust and there's a, there's a, there's, there's, I don't have to sign NDA, you know, things with bands, you know, um, you know, and, um, uh, you know, whatever. So he, no, I haven't worked on the last two records, and the reality is I'll probably never work with Green Day again, but it doesn't, feel, doesn't mean we're not friends and we're not family, and it doesn't mean he's not going to call me to pick my brain about something. You know what I mean? Um, and that's just another – again, it doesn't matter if you're not uh, working with them now. It's just another great experience in your life and in your career, and it goes to show you, you – you say you may not go to everybody you work with's uh, wedding, but – it it's what we kind of started this this conversation uh, with the, on this episode and and off the air just how humble you are and 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 approachable you are you know why would anybody want to interview me and eh, it's just going to fall through but th- this is it just go, again it it shows who you are as a person that's which is separate from your professionalism and how good you talented you are there that it, it, it's that's probably harder to find somebody who's a a better person than they are, uh, you know, drummer or whatever they do professionally. So they obviously uh, appreciate it, uh, clearly. So, uh, well, right, go on. No, Sorry. I was just going to ask. Thank no. you. I, I, don't, I never, I always don't know how to take a compliment. Me neither. And, and, I, and I'm trying to be better about just saying thank you because I really do appreciate you saying that. But it's hard for me to take compliments. I'm, you know I, mean? I said this to you also. I am the same exact way. I hate taking compliments. I think... Uh, people are they, they just want something from me or they're just being nice but that's why I'm including all these listener questions because it's not just me blowing smoke or just saying nice things to you it's other people uh so this is from a uh, rebel from Helsinki you got listeners everywhere he wants to know if you uh well I guess you kind of answered it before have you ever toured with Guns N' Roses as a tech and he also wants a two-parter he wants to know all about the sessions and uh, the records Oh, where where Big Red was used, and that was like a, a Big Red. I didn't know this, so thank you, Rebel. Big Red is the uh, the November rain snare. Right. Well, I've never toured with Guns N' Roses because when I started working with them, they had just finished the Use Your Illusion tours, and they had to finish the Spaghetti Incident record in whatever year that was. I can't even think ninety four ish or whatever. And um, they, they, they had gotten off of that tour. And um, uh, I worked on Spaghetti Incident with him, and, and I worked with him with Slash Snake Pit on a couple of records. Um, but uh, um, the funny thing about Big Red is Big Red is a, is a, is a, is a snare drum on the uh, November Rain and Don't Cry. When I, when I walked into the studio at Rumbo, it, which is not there anymore, and that's in Canoga Park. 
It's a great recording studio to do Spaghetti Incident. Um, Mike Klink had asked me, uh, once we had drums set up and whatever, he said to me, he goes, where's Big Red? Where's Big Red? And I said, I got all, I got all nervous because I, I had never, this was my first session. I knew how to tune drums because I worked at a music store, but this and that, whatever. Um, I said, um, but I had never worked in the studio. And I just knew you had to make the drums sound good and pure at the source because I had to when I was trying to sell drums. Um, uh, but uh, Mike said, where's Big Red? Where's Big Red? And, and I was like, oh, he's not here. He's not here yet. Uh, I didn't think he was supposed to come until late. He's been here until like midnight, one o'clock in the morning. Uh, he's not here. And Mike, Mike, Mike Clink looked at me. He said, Big, he, he goes, no, Big Red, the snare drum. Where's Big Red at? We need it for the session. And, and, and apparently the guys... Um, uh, affectionately uh, uh, referred to Axel as Big Red because he had red hair and he's the big guy in the band, right? Big right. guy is, part of, you know, the, he's the man. So I was like, oh, yeah, it's at home. I can bring it tomorrow. So I brought it in tomorrow and Mike Clink named it Big Red and because uh, they had used it on the Use Your Illusions 1 and 2 record. Now, the, to, make, to, to put this into a time frame, I was going on a cruise ship to play because I played on the, the Princess Cruises, and um, I needed a like jazz, you know, cocktail snare drum. Matt Sorum had a CB700 free floating maple piccolo, and I said, Matt, I said, I know you're going in to do the Use Your Illusions records. This is before we we lived together. I said, please take this Thomas snare drum, which is a Thomas. It's mid '80s, circa '86. Uh, Tama Candy Apple Red 8x14 Superstar. Bird Shell, I had Bill Dedimore for Pork Pie Percussion uh, do the edges on it. It was, it just fucking sounded awesome. It was, it's a great ballad drum. It's, it's, it's just amazing. I said, this should be an option for you. You should definitely check it out in the studio. The more snare drums and the more options you have when you're recording, you never know what's going to work. So I gave him that drum. He gave me the little piccolo snare drum. I took on the cruise ship because I was playing cocktail music and <laughs> stuff like that, cha-chas and waltzes and TV <laughs> wonders. I just called I, to say I love you, and I didn't need to have the big red, the big rock snare drum, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, when I got back, uh, I, Matt convinced me to get off the ships. He said, you can't audition for bands if you're on the ship. Come right. live with me, blah, blah, blah. Pay me 350 a month for rent, water the lawn, watch my girlfriend, and uh, feed the dog, walk the dog. We had a, a Dalmatian called Rock. Nice. And uh, Rocky, the Dalmatian. And uh, so anyway, so th that's where the, the name Big Red came from. And then we, the record came out. It was one of those things. I was coming back from a gig. There was a bunch of people at the house, like Slash and Randy uh, Castillo. Wow. And... Um, and, uh, and this is when I was living with him and renting one of the rooms from him. And uh, there was a party going on, and, and, and uh, he, said, uh, he, said, he said, hey, man, here's the, here's the record. We used it on November Rain and Don't Cry, and, and it sounds great, and blah, 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 and everybody's partying and whatever, and it was great. And that was, that was it, and then it was, it was on there, and I got a thank you on the record. I didn't drum tech on those records, but uh, those two records, the one and two, but my drum was on it. Mike Klink named it. And uh, the rest is history. And it's just a great drum. And it's been on fucking hundreds of recordings over the years. Too cool. I mean, Mike Fasano, uh, you have uh, just too many stories to contain in, in one episode. I, I definitely want to have you back 
Uh, if if and you alluded to it before, I would love to have you as a co-host, which I, I often do. I got as um as a good example talking about the illusions a lot this this uh this episode. I interviewed Roberta Freeman one episode, and then mm-hmm. she then she came back on again as my co-host, and then we co-interviewed uh, Teddy Zigzag. So, oh, cool. So if there's anything like that, whether it be of course you know I'm shooting for the stars, whether it's you know Matt Sorum or Gilby, but anyone that you you know, field that would fit under this umbrella of, of Guns N' Roses, this this GNR-themed mitzvah party of a podcast that I have. Uh-huh. You know, you're always welcome back. But, of course, before you go, tell us, update us about what's uh, what's happening now, what's to come with Tiger Army, and perhaps just yourself if you have other projects happening. Um, well, uh, I'm super excited because Tiger Army's uh, releasing a new record called, called Retro Future, and it's coming out... Uh, September 13th, and we start our tour, our U.S. tour in San Francisco, the Regency Ballroom, on September 14th, and that takes us across the country, up into Canada, and then back down. We end in Chicago, and sorry, we we, we end in Denver, which apparently we're playing uh, the hotel that The Shining was filmed at. Oh, wow. I don't have the name of it in my my head, because you know what, whether I play... The shittiest, tiniest little club that nobody knows about, or the fucking you know Staples Center. The gig is the gig, and it's it's got to be great for everybody to to fifty people or five thousand people. Um, so I don't know what the name of the venue is. I've never been good like that. But my friend of mine hit me up and said, um, "You're playing the place that The Shining was filmed at, uh, or whatever." But uh, so we're starting our tour. I'm really stoked about it because uh, it's. Uh, it's, it'll be the third record I played on with Tiger Army. And, uh, and we have this, this big U.S. tour, and then we, we head over to the U.K. and Germany in November. And then we get back in December, and we have a couple of shows in Mexico City. Um, uh, and then we're done for the year. But I'm, I'm, I'm really it's – like, it's like I finished my drums in February. I did them in two and a half days. And it's like having a baby. It's like nine months later this thing is being born, and I can't wait – for the Tiger Army fans, and we have like everybody says we have the most loyal fans, and and they they love this band, and and I think we've covered all the bases musically that they have been asking for, and I, I really hope that and it's not because we necessarily uh, we're writing you know like some bands write um, songs because it's the flavor of the month. Nick writes songs. Um, about things he's into, but some of the songs weren't hard enough for some of the Tiger Army fans, and so there's some harder songs on the record. And some of the songs, um, uh, you know, I think we hit what everybody was asking for, and I just, I really, I kind of can't wait for this baby to be born, and it, and it gets its legs, and it gets movement, and, and, it, and it gets to meet people, and, and people will either like the kid or not. <laughs> and I hope they like the kid, which is the retro future record that's coming out. Um, but um, I also, uh, you know, I'm playing with a great singer-songwriter friend. His name's John Gregory, and we play, um, we play tiny little bars where they move uh, tables out of the way and turn the TV off with, that the Dodger game's playing on and move the dartboard out of the way, and we play <laughs> on the floor. And it's just a little acoustic uh, bass, guitar, drums. Uh, we play gigs, and we're playing a little place in Burbank. Uh, next Friday, I think it's the 23rd, at, uh, at a place called The Park. And John's a great singer-songwriter. He's, we played together years ago. We played coffee houses, and um, we reunited 
several years ago, and then finally just are getting the music we've been working on out and about playing. So I'm really stoked to be doing that. Um, you know, uh, it's super. Uh, I don't know. It's it's just it's cool because it's different than Warrants. It's different than Tiger Army. It's different than uh, some of the things that I've done, and it's 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 cool. He writes great songs, and he's he's an amazing singer, and uh, and it's just this is another thing. I just I just don't want to be known as this or that or that. I don't think you, know you can be from the beginning yeah. of, of of starting drumming in an Italian church to to everything in between. You, yeah, you really exactly. have such a. Uh, maybe I shouldn't use the the analogy uh, for you of the the back of your baseball card, but you just have a a portfolio. You have such a wide, diverse portfolio. How about that? That that's why you're you've been a part of all these great bands and people hire you as uh, as their tech and, and why you're still doing what you love now. So it's just it's just amazing and because uh, what a great story. And again, you're. You know, I, I hope you, you come back. Uh, well, when when Tiger Arm when the uh, the the album comes out, come back on. And again, if you have any you know ideas that fits under our you know GNR umbrella, that you're you're welcome to be to, to be my co-host for the day. Well, well, thank you so much. I mean, I'll talk to Matt about it. Matt's got a lot to. I'm sure if he feels. Tell him I'll like, talk about dolphins. I'll talk about any all of his charity. I'll, I'll talk about. We, some of it could be us as roommates and and us as working in the studio and us as doing you know do, you know it could be that and maybe that'll make him feel uh, you know I mean like I said I don't know what the uh, I don't know what the uh, I don't know what his thing is to be honest with you with Guns and Roses you know what I mean uh, there's a, there's a bunch of people I, fuck I'll talk to Trey Cool I mean it's totally but uh, the thing I'll talk to all those guys I mean. You know, I, uh, you know, I. All you can do is you can you could put it out there if somebody's interested. They're interested and they want to do it, or they don't want to do it. It is what it is. But I'll I'll try to. That's get, all I can ask for, and that's what I I did with you. I guess put it out there. Uh, you said something at the beginning. You wish all your messages went into one thing so you would read them. But no, it's just it's it's awesome. It really is awesome. Everything that you've done, and we've only. I mean, we've been talking for an hour and a half, and I feel like. While I, I know a lot more about you, there's so much more than I don't. And I, I think that's just, that's great. That's absolutely great. So the best way to for people to, oh, before I even get to your social media, you said something that I want to make sure I didn't uh, uh, overlook. Uh, you're, you're friends and you've played with uh, Carrie Kelly, correct? Yeah. So Carrie is uh, now officially a part of, um, I, I have sound effects here in uh, that's what I'm uh, thankfully I'm able to do since I work here at iHeart. Uh, here's one you may found find uh, entertaining. Guns and Roses. You know, silly, silly things. Uh, I don't believe you, Axel. Uh, that, of course, Polly Shore, and that was uh, there was an Axel character in one of the Friday the Thirteenth. But there has been a, a common word that's been used uh, by many guests, and I guess it started with uh, with Duff. I mean, he wasn't a guest, but I. I was I I picked out the word from an interview uh, that he did because I'm such a Nature Turtles fan. That's pretty yeah. radical. Okay, so radical is the word. Uh, oh, then, that's funny. Then we yeah. had we had Brain on uh, a couple times, of course, for a former GNR drummer uh, with Primus as well. It's rad. So he said he probably holds the record for most rads in a conversation. Uh, Dave Kushner, of course, from Velvet Revolver, he came on. It was so rad. He came on a couple times, and then Carrie uh, Kelly. It's pretty rad. It's pretty rad. So uh, if I was quick enough and I had a producer, you used rad a couple times. So if you can just say it one more time, it's rad. You will be officially on the AFD soundboard. 
<laughs> you know what? It's definitely a California thing, I think. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I, uh, <laughs> it's rad. Thank you. <laughs> oh, but I, you know what the kids say now? What's that? It's rad as fuck. <laughs> or hashtag rad AF. No, those, those suck. Those suck. Okay. But the kids use the AF after everything now. I, I, no, no. It's, it's okay to talk a Ninja Turtle. A Ninja Turtle would not say AF. I don't okay. know. Once we started abbreviating words and saying it and then, you know, saying hashtag, I think this is the second decline of Western civilization right now. We're just going. Oh, down. gosh, that's a whole other thing. Man. <laughs> I love them, but I, I just I don't, know, I don't know if I understand them. Um, but, uh, hey, where, where are you at? Anyways, really quick. Oh, yeah, sure. I'm in uh, Tribeca right now. Uh, do you mean where I live? I mean, did you want to come hang out and have my... Well, Tiger Army is playing a place on um, October 4th in New York, New York, called The Knitting Factory. Oh, yeah. I, I have not been there yet, so I think I might have to break my Knitting Factory cherry uh, to see Tiger okay. Army. But no, it's right I mean, here in the city. Asbury Park, New Jersey, right? No, 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 no. It's Knitting Factory is, is right here in the city. I mean, okay. which is good for me because I, I live on Long Island, and there are some places that probably would love to have a Tiger Army there. But I'm moving to Queens in in a couple of weeks, so you'll be you'll be in my area. So I, I definitely uh, I'll hit you up and uh, yeah, definitely I'll get you I'll get you in and whoever you want to bring with you. And I'd love to I'd love to meet you in person and we can do a little uh, we can do a little photo together for social media, et cetera, for the kids. You I, know what I mean? I, I, thank you. I appreciate that. Now that we've had a whole conversation to interview you, interview, you know that I'm not just contacting you to ask you for a photo. Well, I offered. I offered. So thank you. I, I, and I've, speaking uh, of... The cart before the horse. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And speaking yeah. of social media, no, uh, at Mike Fasano uh, on, on Twitter, is that... Uh, and you're also on at, Instagram. At Mike Fasano on um, Instagram and Twitter... Uh, I am uh, Facebook. It's like the Mike Fasano because there's uh, there's another Mike Fasano, and I'm definitely not the Florida politician Mike Fasano. <laughs> so um, yeah, but, no, uh, I, yeah, that's a, that's basically where you can find me, and then you can see all the Tiger Army stuff at TigerArmy.com for any of uh, anybody who's into that, and that's all the social media and the, is, is all that as well. Awesome. So, Thank you, um, I, man. I really appreciate you reaching out, and I and I like again. I feel so bad that I never got back to you from that first time that you reached out, and and uh, and I'm I'm so glad that you found me and and uh, were interested in something that I had to say or do. So it, it means a lot. I really appreciate it, and I really like your show. I only heard the one episode, and I'm going to listen to my episode, <laughs> and I promise I'll listen to uh, everything else that I've missed. The other 137 episodes. Ah, I, I love it. Mike. I really. It's 137 episodes. I'm 138. Is that right? You're 139. You're 139. 139. See, but 137 because I already listened to Rocco's. So I got it, and I'll listen to mine. So yeah, something around that. Now you got the math right. No, and uh, I appreciate the the kind words back. You were awesome, and uh, don't worry about it. I, I literally just heard back, and I can uh, announce it for my guests finally uh, that I booked up Missy Suicide, who is the founder of the Suicide Girls. I don't know if you're. Oh, fan. that's going to be super rad. Wait, <laughs> can I just can I just make our hour go longer? Um, I remember when the Suicide Girls hit social media. Mm -hmm. It was like. Holy shit! Right. This is like the new porn. Like these chicks are super hot. They're 
tatted up. They're clothed, but they were so, it didn't matter. It didn't matter. I was, I was super into it. I go, this is what the new porn is going to be, this. Anyways. You know what? I don't watch porn anymore. I don't do, they even have tapes. <laughs> no, it's all on your phone. It's all on your phone. No, I got it. You know what? They were. I'm going to ask her about this because, well, of course, the six degrees of GNR bacon with her is that the Suicide Girls opened up for Guns N' Roses in 2006 for a, a bunch of shows. Uh, I happened to see that in in Ottawa. It was the Suicide Girls, Sebastian Bach, and then GNR, and I think that was Bumblefoot's first tour. So that was a crazy, uh, crazy show. But. The Suicide Girls could—they were on the Instagram wave. That might be better to say because yeah. because they, they didn't do it. There was no, you know, videos of them making out or there was there was no nudity. They were you know obviously in bras and in underwear for the most part, yeah. showing off their tats. But that was before it was cool to be an Instagram model. That they right. that you had to be accepted to be a Suicide right. Girl. Uh, it wasn't right. just like you can just start your own account. So there's going to be a lot to talk about with her. And I, the reason I brought her up just now. I think I've been trying to back and forth for like a year. And right. as long as the intentions are good, and obviously it happened when it's meant to happen, it'll happen. So uh, certainly no worries. And I'm glad uh, well, that it well, happened. Hang on a sec. Let's, let's just, let's put this, let's, uh, let's take a little dive into this. Okay. Jesus suicide girl. You're a dude. Think about how many dudes hit her up. Mm. Okay. Just for whatever. So think about do that math and see how it could have taken a year for you to actually connect. I'm glad it only took us a short amount of time, but sure. No, I mean, her and her reps were always very responsive. But you're right, just like with you and uh, Rocco said the same thing that he get gets asked uh, asked for interviews, and this was the first one he really spoke about Scott uh, Scott right. Weiland since his passing, and he I'm glad yeah. he did his due diligence and seeing who else they interviewed and and uh, interviewing some of his friends. So he asked them, uh, "Is this?" guy legit is he for real is he just asked after dirt uh and so that's why reputation is is huge to me and obviously your reputation precedes you uh with the amount of people that you you work with and continue to work with and that's what it's all about time place and reputation i try to live my life like that thanks to therapy uh i love it yeah and you know what i'm glad you're doing the therapy and i'm glad that you stopped drinking because i was listening to um to your, your interview with Rocco, and it seems like it's really helped you um, become more clear and happier. And you said your girlfriend? Yeah. <laughs> you've got a great girlfriend, and, and you're moving now. You're moving to Queens. It's like good things happen when you when you get clear and... and uh, oh, and, yeah. And it, it would not have happened. marijuana maintenance program. Is that... <laughs> something. Pretty good, right? <laughs> hey, you know, it's uh, decriminalized here in New York, so it's... Uh, it's good as long as I don't turn it into some sort of kingpin, uh, right. which I, no. you know. Um, is tattooing uh, decriminalized in New York City? Because I remember you couldn't get a tattoo in New York City for a long time. Really? No, I just got, uh, I just finished my uh, never-ending story, uh, I guess how do you finish never-ending story thing, but I have a qu- three-quarter sleeve, uh, three-fourth cool. sleeve on my right arm, so I just finished my never-ending story just the other day. So it's if it's decri- if it's... Criminal, uh, I'm, go- I'm going to jail for tattoos. But no, no, not- no, no I, I think it's been. I, I think there was a thing in New York City you couldn't get a tattoo, or there, you, a certain thing. I well, I know. That. I think now because I, you know, I've become friendly with my my tattoo artist uh, that you can't sell. It's something with the ink, like the packaging oh, right. of the ink, which is so stupid. Like you can't have the big bottles of ink; they have to uh-huh. be in, in small packets now. 
I, I, I don't know the reason behind it, but it's obviously it sucks for the artist who has to spend uh, more money. Maybe it's just a regulation of the ink. I have no idea. Right, but, right, right. But, uh, right. but no. Do you want to hear, hear something crazy? Yeah. Let me just tell you. We couldn't get Dunkin' Donuts, and Dunkin' Donuts coffee is some of my favorite coffee, and on tour for the, for the last 15, 20 years of touring, whenever we'd get to a place where Dunkin' Donuts was and we'd see it, we'd call it the embassy, and we'd always have to stop and get a coffee and a donut. For the longest time, they wouldn't allow Dunkin' Donuts in California because there was some weird thing in the coffee that was cancerous or something, and the state of California wouldn't allow it. What? A couple years ago, now we've got them. They're starting to pop up. It's a real treat. There's one that's directly down the street, seven blocks down from me at the corner, that when it moved in, I thought, oh, my gosh, I'm in trouble because I'm going to have blueberry cake donut and coffee with cream and sugar every day. I'm going to become 500 pounds. So it's been there a year, and I've only gone about 10 times, and a lot of it is just always getting a dozen donuts if I'm going to visit <laughs> somebody to drop it off for them, and then maybe a coffee occasionally. But, uh, you know, I thought I'd be there at least 10 times a week. So anyway, that's funny. regulations. They're yeah, on uh, basically uh, every corner on Long Island. I mean, no, it, I love it. 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 Well, and I also like anything but Starbucks, <laughs> you know, any kind of coffee but Starbucks. It's just too, they're on every corner, too, and I'm just not into it. No, they're, they're not a spot. I do, when I go, because there's one in the building, and of course, as we both go off on a tangent on the building here at iHeart, uh, all I get is the, the protein food stuff. And like, I eat like a five-year-old. I get the snack pack. I get my cookies. I get my apple juice. I don't, I don't like coffee. I'm, I'm, uh, yeah, it's just we're all, we're, we, all, we all have something special about us. Well, uh, like maybe it's because of the cocaine that I did in my past. I need that. <laughs> not okay. for me. I, see, I know I'm an addict, not just because of drugs. If there are cookies around me, I will I eat them all. I will eat I all the cookies. And thankfully, I'm shaped like a suicide girl, so I haven't gotten too fat. <laughs> Perfect. 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 You got it. This is great. Then you're, 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 you're in good shape. Thank you. Keep an eye on it. You're so fun to talk to. Uh, whether it was the serious uh, side of your family, talking about Janie, or just a lot of the fun stories, you know, about like, you and Matt, it was this was a fun ride, and I really appreciate it. Well, cool. Well, thanks for having me, and I, I look, I hope I see you when we when we hit the knitting factory uh, October fourth. So, uh, just you know, you've got my email. I'll I'll shoot you my number, and all that stuff, and but definitely, if you can come out, it'd be great to see you. And uh, you can meet some of my other friends from New York. Right on. No, I, I will, as, as long as I'm not working, because sometimes I, I work weekends, which is, I'm just saying, yeah, no to be worries, honest. No worries, but just whatever. If not, you know, let's just at least connect when we're there. I mean, do, text or something and just say hello while I'm in the city. Oh, absolutely. But, no, yeah. that means a lot. That really does mean a lot, Mike. Thank you. All right, man. Well, listen, thank you. I can't even, I really, a guy who just spoke for an hour and a half, <laughs> sort of at, at, a, at a loss for words, because I am really touched that you were interested in having me on your show, and I really appreciate it again. Thanks so much, and I, I look forward to seeing you soon and doing this or doing whatever again with you. Awesome. Thanks, Mike. Well, actually, before you go, I don't want to make sure I, I leave this person out, and i got to find it on I get a lot. It's not just me doing research and who falls underneath the, the six degrees of GNR bacon. I get a lot of suggestions from, from listeners, and uh, that goes along with me saying I don't know everything. I, I, I just have great – I mean that's what's been amazing about doing the GNR podcast or the people that I, I get to meet. Uh, the, you are a suggestion of – and I'm again, I'm, I'm stalling as I'm trying to find. Oh, no, it's fine. It is – I want to make sure I give him credit. Who said it? I know it was on – 
It was Rebel. It was Rebel who uh, asked that qu- the question, one of the questions before. He was right. the, he suggested uh, from Helsinki. And, and you know what's funny is Rebel asked me about Big Red, right? And yes, yes. Okay, so check this out. We we uh, Tiger Army played in Helsinki in 2016. We played two places in, in we played Helsinki, Finland, and Tampere, Finland, which are like it's like L.A. to San Diego. You know, it's like two hours apart or something. Um, and what's funny is he. I'm sure if he would have known I was in Tiger Army, he would have came out for those gigs. I'm positive. Mm. So that's a little weird note. So the next time we go to Helsinki, maybe he'll come out to the show. Yeah, absolutely. So there you go, Rebel. Uh, that's wow. I love all this. It's all it's all connected. We're all connected somehow. And again, right. I do it all through my the the GNR uh, funnel. And we all I don't know more people have things in common than they realize. So well, I, you know what's kind of cool is Appetite for Distortion. I mean, it's all music based, and all the people within the music business, which is there is. If somebody looks at my thing, I'm not just the guy who worked on um, uh, Spaghetti Incident as a drum tech, obviously. And I'm not just the guy in Tiger Army. There's, it, my career is distorted with mm-hmm. many things. So you've got a great thing going. And Thank you me. have an appetite for asking questions. And, <laughs> great. So, I mean, I mean, meaning it's for knowledge and, and, and stories. And that's, that's great. That's actually really cool. You and know? connecting and, people. You know? I mean, Guns N' Roses are the Rolling Stones of our generation, even though the Rolling Stones are still the Rolling Stones of, of, of us. But, yeah, it's, it's cool. No, it's great to be associated with that. Right on. And, uh, well, just thank you again, Mike, and we'll be chatting soon. You have a great day. Right. Rando, great. Have a great weekend. You too. Okay, see you. Bye. Bye-bye. What a conversation. That's what I love. The, the, the names that you may not know have so many stories, so many that we would not find out we wouldn't know otherwise and these you know like mike appreciate that we appreciate them i think that's important it doesn't matter if you know you're a quote-unquote celebrity or a rock star everyone wants to feel loved and appreciated and uh and mike i mean he said it himself sound couldn't sound more genuine than him uh, appreciates uh you know not i want to i don't want to say me having him on for but us having him on and thank you for all the the questions that you submitted wish i can got to get to them all but we were with this episode went uh pretty pretty long but i'm not going to cut it off when, when the story's flowing you know that's what's great about a podcast don't have to cut to commercials uh you can spend uh you know time listening to parts of the episode at different parts of your, uh, times of your day uh so that's what what's great uh if so we we going long really isn't a thing in podcasting and if again if the story is there uh if the person is you know as engaging as Mike was let's roll with it so since this was a longer episode let's do this really quick news brought to you by alternativenation.net uh i went on vacation i know none of you care about that but uh, if you follow us on social media, on Facebook.com slash The AFD Show or on Twitter at The AFD Show, uh, I went upstate a little bit here in, in New York. And the important part to tell you, because I'm not going to be one of those radio guys that tells you about their day and their vacation that nobody gives a shit about. We were just up on our, our way, me and my girlfriend and I, to go to Lake Pleasant to, uh, this may not mean 
much to any of you if you're not familiar with the area, just to go to a cabin with a bunch of her friends and you know watch the meteor shower. Uh, but she wanted to go up a, a day early and see more of uh, the Hudson Valley. Uh, we went up to New Paltz. Uh, and then we spent, we were going to just going to spend a few hours in a town called Hudson, much like Saul Hudson, London Hudson, no relation. <laughs> uh, and we're not out of our car uh, a minute walking down the sidewalk just on Main Street, like every, I'm sure in other countries has a Main Street. And I go to my girlfriend, is that, is that Tom? And I guess she and I guess make a beeline, and I, you know, I with my disability, I have a, a limp and a cane. So me going fast, you know, it's important. It was Tommy Stinson. Tommy Stinson was just talking to somebody on the street. I'm sure, you know, one of his neighbors, one of his friends, and it totally dawned on me that yes, he lives in Hudson. You know, he, he we talked about how he lives in an, an apartment building. This rock star that lives in an, in an apartment building, which is just so cool. And we talked about the charity events that he does for the little league over there. So I go over to him, and I don't expect for him to know who I am. I go, Tommy. He turns, and he was actually about to turn away to go back to wherever he was going. He finished his conversation, and I, I don't like doing this really to people. He's just, uh, you know, enjoying his life, but. I mean, I, I, I'm in Hudson for a couple hours and I run into Tommy Stinson. I got to take advantage of the situation. So, or at least just say hello. I don't, I don't know what advantage of it. I just got to, I got to see if it's Tommy Stinson. I can tell. He has the fedora on. He has those long shorts, long board shorts. And he, and I said, Tommy Stinson? He's like, yeah. I'm like, hey, it's Brandon. Brando from you know the podcast interview a couple times. And he's like, oh, yeah. And we're just chatting and uh you know, I said, how are things? And he's hopefully finishing up his new solo record soon. He's uh, hopefully going to be finished more with Cowboys and the Campfire soon. So there's a lot of new Tommy Stinson stuff coming on the way. And he was nice enough. And I was so sheepish. I said, is it okay if I take a picture? I mean, this is a guy I've spoken to, you know, interview style a couple times. I was just very shy once I got past of just, you know, introducing myself, but just... You know, hey, do you mind? I'm sorry to ask you for a picture, but he was very kind. It was just a few moments, but wow, what what's what are the chances of that timing? You know, we were not supposed to visit Hudson. It was supposed to just be a, a quick little, you know, shopping spree on, on Main Street and I guess run into, you know, the former bassist of uh the replacements in Guns N' Roses and former, you know, beloved guest of the AFD show. So what a just a great moment. Uh, for me personally, and and uh, you know what? So is this episode, and I really and I think you all will appreciate this episode as much as I did. Well, what a great guest Mike Fasano was! So that does it for this episode of the A and D Show. I did mention before, uh, I did finally confirmed. I, I've mentioned it a while ago, um, but everyone has their own schedules, so there's no hard feelings or anything. Uh, Missy Suicide from the Suicide Girls, uh, she will be an upcoming guest. Uh, Bobby Brown, former wife, uh, ex-wife, uh, widow. I, I, I forgive me at the time. I, I forget if they were married still at the time of his passing. Uh, but uh, she, you know, of course, you know the Cherry Pie Girl, and she's okay with being called that. Uh, she has a second book out, and she's also going to be a guest. Again, the best way to find out what we're doing is following us on social media. Just do a search for Appetite for Distortion. You could do the same way. On your most convenient podcast app, whether it be iHeartRadio, just type in Appetite for Distortion, and you'll find it. So until next time, when will you see the next episode? Well, in the words of Axel Rose concerning Chinese democracy, I don't know as soon as the word, but you'll see it. Yeah!
security, I'm going home.